We continue our sermon series in the book of Ruth, and just as we, before we read, it reminds you where it sits. So the book of Ruth sits between the chaos of the judges, that dark time in Israel's history, and the establishment of the kingdom in 1 Samuel. And so we're looking at the book of Ruth with, with this theme in mind, and the chaos and the brokenness of our world, God builds his kingdom through the mercy and through the kindness of his people. This morning, we're in Ruth chapter two, and we'll be looking at verses one through 17. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find the scripture printed in your sermon guide inside your order of worship. Ruth chapter two, starting in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. It's a game that's universal, has spanned generations. It may actually have even been a game played in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. But it's the game of tag, tag. We've all played it, right? There's this it that is trying to get everybody. And if you're the it and you're chasing and trying to tag someone, what do you do when you tag them? Tag, you're it. There's another piece of the game that's really important. And that is that there's always a 
base, right? A base where when you're on base, you can't be tagged. You can't be touched. My kids and I play in our backyard. We have a base that is a four foot by four foot square underneath the deck of the playset. And so when I chase my kids and they run and they cross the threshold of that base and they get into base as I approach them, and if I, if I approach them like I'm gonna cross the line to touch them, what do they say? Daddy, you can't touch me. I'm on base, right? They're untouchable on base. In the Middle Ages, there was a church base, so to speak, and it was called sanctuary. In fact, the name uh, where we get the name for church sanctuaries comes from this. And, And sanctuary, the law of sanctuary in the Middle Ages was this, that a criminal or a poor person or an excluded outsider, right, that was on the run, could run into a sanctuary and be untouched, find refuge, find safety. And some churches would actually uh, expand the area of protection beyond the building that was called a sanctuary. They would expand it around the church grounds and to mark the line of where sanctuary or refuge would begin, they would put a marker in the ground that was called a, uh, a sanctuary cross or a sanctuary stone. And literally, if a criminal was on the run and they crossed over that marker and they were being chased, they were untouchable. And the idea behind it was that the church was to be a place of kindness and forgiveness and healing and restoration for those that needed it. In fact, today, if you go to, uh, to England and you go to some of the churches there, you will find uh, sanctuary posts in the ground that marked this area that created a refuge for people. Now, we all know that a church is not defined by a building that when people in the Middle Ages, when they ran into the the sanctuary for refuge, they were running into a place that was where they were received by people. And it was the people that offered the kindness and the forgiveness and the protection and the healing and whatever this person that was coming with need, whatever they needed. This is what we find in Ruth chapter two. God offers refuge, sanctuary, to an outsider, to a foreigner named Ruth. And we see it in verse 12. When Boaz says to Ruth, and this is the, really the central verse of this passage, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was an immigrant. She was a foreigner. She was an enemy of Israel. Moab was an enemy nation. And this foreigner, this enemy, this immigrant comes and takes refuge. She found base, so to speak. She found sanctuary with the people of Israel, the God of Israel, who in this story most, mostly is represented by this man, Boaz, who, who takes her in and who offers this refuge. So here's the question we're gonna ask. What kind of refuge does Boaz offer Ruth? 
And what does this teach us about our greater Boaz, our greater Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and the refuge that he offers us? And then what does it teach us about the community of people that Jesus has created to offer refuge to their neighbors? So what kind of refuge do you offer your neighbor? We're gonna look at refuge from exclusion, refuge from harm, and refuge from poverty. First, refuge from exclusion. Ruth is in a very vulnerable position in Israel. Okay, she is an outsider. She's a foreigner of an enemy nation, Moab. And so she comes with the great threat of exclusion. And the author tries to point this out over and over. For example, when Boaz notices Ruth in the field, what does he say to his servant? He says, whose young woman is this? Now, what Boaz is asking is, what clan of Israel does she belong to? And the servant says, oh, no, 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 boss. She's not of a clan of Israel. This is, quote, the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Okay, there's some redundancy in there. I hope you caught it. She's a young Moabite woman from the country of Moab. Okay, we get it. That's like saying, uh, that's a German man from the country of Germany. Of course, we see it. But this, this repetition or this redundancy is seen in, in chapter 22 of verse one. Over and over, the author is trying to make this, this huge point. <laughs> she's an enemy. She's an immigrant. She's a foreigner. She's an outsider, right? And even, so when you look at the distinctiveness of, of Israel, right? So Israel is uh, God's chosen people. And from the very get-go, God chose a people for what purpose? For mission, Right? Their distinctiveness as, as Israelites was to be for the purpose of mission. But Israel took their distinctiveness and didn't use it for mission, but actually used it for exclusion. And we see this in even how Ruth responds in verse 10. Right? Look at verse 10 when she responds to Boaz's kindness. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. In other words, she's saying, Israel doesn't do this. <laughs> they exclude. Why, why are you taking notice of me? See, what she's saying is, I'm supposed to be ostracized here. I'm supposed to be excluded here. And you're being kind to me. I don't get it. Yet we see in Ruth's exclusion, she's not left there because she finds refuge in Boaz's invitation. She finds refuge in Boaz's invitation. Ruth knows that she, this could go either way, right, at this point, when she meets Boaz and Boaz finds out she's a foreigner from Moab. It could go either way. Boaz could shun her or Boaz could welcome her. What we see in verse eight, he welcomes her. He goes beyond that in verse nine to, to say, join my workers and stay with them. Then in verse 14, she's invited to his table to eat and to drink. And all this contributes to what we learn in verse 12, where Boaz identifies Ruth with the people of God. He identifies her with the people of God. He includes her, he welcomes her. And if we could sum up the communication of Boaz to Ruth, it's this. 
Here it is. Let no one think you're an outsider. You are part of this community. You belong here. Right? That's what's being spoken to Ruth. You belong here. You're not to be excluded. In Outlive Your Life, Max Lucado writes this. He says, long before the church had pulpits and baptisteries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. Even in a casual reading of the New Testament unveils the house as the primary tool of the church. The primary gather, gathering place of the church was the home. Consider the genius of God's plan. The first generation of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshiped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? We wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with the Muslim couple down the street? Can divergent people get along? The early church did. Without the aid of sanctuaries, church buildings, clergy, or seminaries, they did so through the clearest, mes clearest of messages, the cross, and the simplest of tools, the home. Not everyone can serve in a foreign land, lead a relief effort, or volunteer at the downtown soup kitchen, but who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door, a table, chairs, bread and meat for sandwiches? Congratulations. You just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries, hospitality. Refuge from exclusion, refuge from exclusion. Second, what kind of refuge do you offer your neighbor? Refuge from exclusion. Second, refuge from harm. Ruth was not only vulnerable to exclusion in Israel, but she was vulnerable to some very real harm. And we see this in verse nine. Boaz says to her, have I not charged the young men to touch you? And then to verse 22, Naomi says to Ruth, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. She was a, a, a young Moabite woman, a foreigner, an enemy without the protection of family in the fields working with young men. Now, this would be like uh, modern day migrant workers on US farms. In fact, um, PBS ran a special several years ago of the, the rape and the sexual assault that takes place among the nearly 560,000 women that work on U.S. farms in this country. And in, in the cases that have made it to court, the alleged perpetrators almost overall have been those that have held positions of power over these women. Now, I share that with you because this is the situation Ruth finds herself in. She's in real danger here of that kind of assault. And yet, in the midst of the danger she finds herself in, Boaz, right, she finds refuge in the protection of Boaz. Now, now, Boaz is, in verse one, you'll note, he's called a worthy man. Now, that doesn't just mean he was a kind man. 
That means that he was an esteemed man. He was a, a, a man of faithfulness in the Lord God of Israel. It means that he was a man of means, a man of influence, a, a man of power. And the question is, is how is this man of influence and power gonna use his strength and his power? And this is what's most impressive, is he uses it to protect this woman, to protect this vulnerable woman, Ruth, who is in danger in the fields. And I want you to notice how he does it. In verse eight, he says, stay in this field. Don't go in the other fields where you could get assaulted. And then three times, he tells his young men, three times, don't touch her, don't rebuke her, and don't reproach her. Right? He's offering protection. He's taking this, this young Moabite woman under the shadow of his wings to protect her from harm. There's a, a pastor in Illinois who tells the story of a, of a ministry in his community called New Name Ministries. And the women, some of the women from his church and others in the community, multiple churches are part of this, some of the women from his church go into uh, gentlemen's clubs, strip bars, uh, massage parlors, and they go in and they befriend the women, most of whom do not have a way out. And he tells about the women in his church going in one time to one of these establishments and, and meeting one of the women who was working there. And, and she said, I just, I just got pregnant. And so they go in often. So they came back a couple weeks later and they, they, they followed up with this woman. And she said, I've got to get another job. She said, I've got to get out of here. And so these women went to work. And they found a place in Kentucky called Refuge for Women. And it's a ministry that takes in women from the adult, adult entertainment industry. It takes women in from sex trafficking to give them healing and give them a new life. So they found this place and they found the resources and all it would cost to get her there so that she could have her baby in this Refuge for Women. And the cool thing about it is this, this at least in Kentucky, the place that was started, uh, there, were, there were followers of Christ that sold their home and they bought an old dilapidated farm and they remodeled it and they redid it, right? To be a refuge for these women. And so they, they, they sent this woman and, and, and he said they, they sent a bunch of baby shower gifts with her, right? Packed her up, made sure she got to this place in Kentucky where she had her baby and she started to heal. And they, after she had her baby and she started to heal, they, they said to her, listen to this. They said, if I ever come back to Chicago. This is what she's saying to the women that helped rescue her out of that place. If I ever come back to Chicago, I want to go with you. I want to tell those other girls, there's a refuge. You can get out. Now I'm just giving you one example of what it looks like, right? To be giving refuge to those that are in harm. Listen, in our city, in our neighborhoods, there are multiple examples like this of people that are in harm's way, whether it's violence, whether it's harm, whether it's oppression. And here's, here's the question I wanna ask you and I wanna get you to think about. And I wanna encourage you as a family unit, maybe as a community group, to ask this question. Is there someone in our sphere of influence, in our lives, that needs the protection of God that he would offer through us. That you would get together and you'd ask that question. 
Is there someone, is there a way that, that we can be used by God to prevent a neighbor's harm? And the answer is, it's all around us. And we're called by God to be a refuge to those who are in harm's way. So refuge from exclusion, refuge from harm. And finally, the third kind of refuge that you offer your neighbor is a refuge from poverty, all right? Refuge from poverty. So when Ruth and Naomi get back to Israel, they have nothing. I, I would imagine they had the clothes on their back. They had no food, no resources. And that's why you see Ruth immediately going out to the fields to glean. They needed to eat that day. Why did she do that? Well, in Leviticus 19, God established what were called the gleaning laws in the Old Testament. And the gleaning laws were this. God commanded Israelite landowners to harvest their crops right up to the edge, but to not harvest the corners and the edges of their fields, to leave those for the poor, the outsider, the foreigner, the sojourner. And so the, the, the outsiders, people like Ruth, the poor would come and they would glean and be able to get food. It was God's way of protecting the poor. It's God's way of providing for them. And so what we see is that this is, Ruth is going out to glean, right? This would be, let me give you a modern day example. This would be like uh, collecting aluminum cans for money for food, okay? Or it would be like the person that sells newspapers at the intersection that you've seen selling newspapers. You know what's going on there, right? The newspaper company gives newspapers to the homeless and sends them out to an intersection and says, go sell these papers and the money that you get and the profit you make is yours. It's your money for food. That's just modern day gleaning laws that we see in our culture. And that's what's happening here. And so what we see is Ruth is a, a foreigner. She's an enemy. She's a widow who's poor and who's in need of help. And that's why in verse two, she says, in whose, favor, in whose sight I'm gonna find favor. She knows that somebody has got to help her. And God's providence, he provided Boaz, Boaz. And so she finds refuge in the generosity of Boaz. Now, let me just point out Boaz's generosity. Leviticus 19 only required that you leave the edges of the field unharvested. That's all that, it, all that God required. But Boaz goes way beyond this in his kindness to Ruth. Let me just show you in verse eight, when Boaz tells Ruth not to leave his field, you got to understand in that day, they didn't have fences, you know, marking their fields. They were just rows of grain. And so the poor would glean across fields so that no one landowner was burdened by the poor gleaning in their field only. So when, when Boaz says, don't go to another field, only stay in my field, he's taking that burden on himself in verse eight. And then verse nine, he tells Ruth to drink what the young men have drawn. He says, I don't want you going to the well. Let the young men get the water for you. You get it from them. Then in verse 14, he says, come eat grain and drink with, with me and my workers. So she comes and sits at the table and it says she was stuffed, satisfied. She was stuffed and still had leftovers. Then verse 16, he says, he says to the young men, pull out some of the sheaves from the harvest and give it to Ruth so that she can glean from those. In other words, 
He gives Ruth grain that she doesn't have to work for. I mean, he is just generosity after generosity providing for her. And then we get to verse 17, where it says she gleaned about an ephah of barley and everyone yawns. Uh, What's that mean? Let me explain. An ephah of barley. Uh, In that day, a, a, a gleaner, a poor person that was gleaning would typically glean in a day like one to two pounds of grain enough for them to have food for the day. An ephah of barley is approximately 30 pounds of grain. So she takes home to Naomi roughly two weeks worth of food. That this is how generous Boaz has been with her. And a response in verse 13 is just awesome. I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me let me just give you a word picture. She says, you've comforted me. It's it's like a a terrified child that's shaking who finally gets comfort in the arms of his mom or dad. That's what we're seeing here, that Ruth is, she's comforted by Boaz's generosity. Refuge from poverty. You know, years ago, my wife and I, we were planning our budget for the year. And we were planning on what to spend, what to give, and what to save. And we decided that we were going to um, carve out in our budget what we call a mercy ministry line item. And here's where we were inspired by it. We watched the church, specifically Christ Church through the years, with their deacons fund, be able to immediately respond to people that that have need, that that fall on hardship, that lose a job, that something happens at the home and they can't afford to, to, to fix something, right? We watched the church be able to just immediately respond because there was this fund for it. And we were challenged to, that's awesome. And we're, we, we want to see that happen. But then we were challenged individually. We want to be able to do that. We want to be able to see a neighbor's need and have, have something set aside to say we can meet it. So we set up this this mercy ministry line item in our budget, and it's been a tremendous blessing. You know, the gleaning laws in the Old Testament, when God said, "Don't, don't harvest right up to the edges and the corners of your field, you know the temptation there, right? I mean, these landowners, by not harvesting to the edge, were foregoing profit, right? They could have made more. They could have harvested right up to the edge. In fact, that was a problem, right? Greed got the best of them and they wouldn't leave the edges for the poor? Let me, let me ask you a question. What would it look like to not spend every part of your paycheck? In other words, to, what would it look like to leave a corner of your paycheck, so to speak, for the needs of neighbors, for the needs that come up around you in your neighborhood? What would it look like to not glean, so to speak, right up to the edge of your paycheck? And to be able to invite a neighbor over for a nice dinner who's going through tremendous loss and tremendous tragedy and tremendous suffering. Or to be able to um, pay for childcare for one of your neighbors, for their kids. Or to have those kids over to your house for dinner while you send that couple out on a much needed date because you see their marriage really struggling. Or what would it look like to be able to, to meet the need of a neighbor that something somewhat catastrophic happens in their house or or in their life, right? To not glean right up, 
or to right up to the edge of your paycheck, but to leave a corner, to leave the edge of it for that. Now, some of you may say, Keith, we're maxed out. And I'm speaking here of after tithing to the church, after um, supporting missionaries, whatever you do there, your tax deductible stuff, I'm talking beyond that. You say, we're maxed out. And you may be, you really may be. But I would, I would encourage you with this, that, that when, if, one day a raise comes, that you would consider keeping a corner of that raise or a corner of your paycheck to be able to help the needs of the, of the neighbors around you. It's been a tremendous blessing. And I think that's what God is calling us to, to provide refuge for people that are in need and refuge from poverty by our generosity. Now, let me just wrap up this sermon by pointing out two important truths that come out of this passage, okay? Number one is in verse three. Notice that after Ruth sets out to glean in the fields, notice what it says, right? Verse one, the author says, hey, there's this man, Boaz. He's a relative of Elimelech. You know, the author sets it up. And then in verse three, we read, Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened to stumble upon Boaz's field. And then you get to verse four and behold, surprise, Boaz walks out to look at his fields at just the right time and there's Ruth. The author's setting this up. This isn't chance, it's not fate, right? This is a divine appointment that God has set up that he was gonna have Ruth meet Boaz and Boaz meet Ruth to carry on this wonderful story of redemption. God puts outsiders like Ruth in your path. In his sovereignty, he does it. The question is, do you have the eyes to see? Do you have the eyes to see what, who God is putting in your path? The outsiders, the foreigners, the, those that have need, the downcast, even, and let me just say this, even in this church, the outcasts and those that are struggling, that he divinely puts in front of you, that you would be his solution to their need for refuge. Now, this leads to the second truth I wanna point out. Look at where Ruth's refuge is coming from in verse 12. This is really important. Boaz says, it's not coming from me. He says, it's coming from the Lord. This help, Ruth, that you're overwhelmed by, this generosity that you're overwhelmed by is not coming from me. It's coming through me, from the God of Israel. That God is the one who offers mercy and refuge to this world, but he does it through his people. Think about it. After we fell into sin, what did God do? He sought after our protection and our refuge. And he did it ultimately by sending Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, what does Jesus do? Jesus works to prevent our harm, right? Harm of guilt, harm of condemnation, harm of death, harm of pride, harm of exclusion, right? Jesus became harm to protect us from harm. And so God makes it clear, I'm the one that offers refuge to this world, but I do it through my church. 
I do it through my people. So after Jesus rescues people, he puts them together in a community. And he says to that community, I want you to be the agent through which I deliver my mercy and kindness and my refuge. And what this means is that when you, when you open your home to a neighbor, when you, when you open your life to a neighbor who's in need, who needs refuge. You're not just doing a nice thing. Uh, yeah, it's nice and it's kind, but you gotta see beyond that. That the God of the universe, the God of the universe is offering refuge to that person through you, through your life and in your home. What kind of refuge do we offer our neighbors? Through the strength of Christ and through Christ. We offer refuge from exclusion, from harm, from poverty. Let's pray. Father, we long to be a church that offers refuge. We long to be a church that has eyes to see our neighbors in need. We long to be a church that is inclusive and, and welcoming to those that are outsiders and that we welcome them with the warmth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We long to be a, a church and a people who can, can see people that are in harm and that step in and offer strength, the strength of, of Yahweh to people who need refuge. And Father, we wanna be a people I want a people that offers refuge to those that are poor and needy. We want to be a people of generosity. We want to be a people that open up our, our, our resources to bless people. That as you, Jesus, usher in your kingdom that you inaugurated in your death and resurrection and that you'll bring in full when you return, that as we're in between the already and the not yet, that you would usher in your kingdom through your people who are bleeding with mercy and kindness towards those around them. Give us eyes to see, Father. Give us eyes to see the refuge that you have offered us in Jesus Christ and that it would spill over. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.